0: The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. 2 Kings 23, 4-7 through seven. You know, this is one of these passages you literally can get lost in. Who are the Kidrons and the Ashes and the Balms and the, you know. It's kind of like you read through this very quickly and you go, I do not understand this. And But I'm here to tell you today. And these short, complicated verses unfolds the end times with paganism to Christmas. And I'm going to show you some very basic, simple history with this tiny little passage. What were they doing and why did God react so severely? Then you run it into the New Testament and you find out that Jesus Christ himself would attend festivals of pagans. Why? How could such a Savior sit through festivals that have origins rooted in the paganism, which is Babylonianism, which his own father, our Abba Father, says, for I hate them. There's only one verse in the New Testament where God, Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ actually says that he hates. Does anyone remember where that is? For I hate. Exactly. Want to say that louder? He hates the teachings of the Nicolaitic Revelation. Now, today we're going to make a connection between the deacon, the beliefs of De- Deacon Nicholas, which is who DK is referencing. He was a deacon in one of the churches. Do you remember what church it was? Pergamum. And what? Pergamum. Deacon Nicholas was from the church of Pergamum. Pergamum was called the, the throne of Satan. Pergamum was the founder of the first university in the entire world. He's batting a thousand, isn't he? Just give him a free book. (laughs) Now, this little passage is directly connected to that passage in Revelation. And how does it get there? Christmas. So, this might blow your minds a little bit. But I'll tell you what, how I resurfaced... Now, I'm not saying this for bragging reasons, but there's two research projects I was a part of that gained the attention of the History Channel. One was my research on the Masons, and my other one was my research on Christmas. And if you download the free copy of The Truth About Christmas, in the back section you'll see two pages of books that I studied online or references To show you the proof. You too yourself can go research this and find the exact same thing. But I'm telling you what fascinated my, my little uh, connection contact guy with the history channel was he, to his knowledge, no one had really put those pieces together. If Al Santa Claus is a pope, how the Pope is in putting all these little pieces together, running it all the way to Jesus Christ making this statement, for I hate the teachings of Nicholas. And if you think that Santa Claus was got a name of Saint Nicholas as accident because of some Dutch guy, you were way misinformed. It was gone on long before that. For the Catholic Church to name him St. Nick is a significant piece of history. It didn't start with him. And who was this original St. Nick? It's in Revelation. So why, why wouldn't the world put such an emphasis on this guy with a white beard and the white red robe with the white fur around it? And why wouldn't the enemy... Capitalize on that? Well, we're going to find out. And then how in the world could Jesus set in on these festivals and love on the people and use the actual festival to communicate who He was and do miracles in these little festive times? That's the way I want to be during every holiday is to be available. Not detach. Be available. For years now, I have been pushing and pushing on the internet, and I've been watching the little numbers up in the corner of Google. Mary Christ is life had zero references five years ago when we started. We're almost close to a million now. Why? Because people catch on to phrases. Mary Christ is life. I have this massive sign that goes in my front yard at Christmas time and it's all decorated nice and pretty and colored lights around it and we dig a hole, this thing's heavy, and we dig a hole in the yard and we put it in there and light it up and it says, "Mary, Christ is life. So I want people to drive by and go, what? If you let people stay in the norm of the deception, the truth will never wring them out of it. You've got to stop them. You've got to take advantage of these moments and stop their thinking pattern. Honey, back up. See, it's not Christ's Mass. Mary Christ Mass. It's no longer a connection to the Catholic paganism. It's now a statement about Christ in you. That's what we need to do. Every opportunity we can. Emmanuel, do you understand that God became flesh through a woman and was birthed, and then after He died, He put Himself back inside of a human? Do, do you see the miracle of this? There's nothing greater to understand. He started in flesh and He ends in flesh. Yeah, that's Christmas. Not It's the life of Christ. Emmanuel came to be with us, but when he left, Emmanuel was put inside of us. Even our Christmas songs, we need to finish off the story for these writers. You see, that's our job, is to finish off the story of where things have been left in society as cute little songs, or holidays, or whatever. Whatever. The lights on those trees out there have nothing to do with Christ. Don't make an association that they do. The evergreen tree has nothing to do with everlasting life. Don't pretend that it does. But would Christ set Christmas morning and enjoy children opening up gifts? You better believe He would, because He does. He doesn't stand outside until you're done with this little festive holiday. He is there just like in the days he was there setting in on these festive events where people would judge him because he would not separate himself from that event. That's called legalism. So yes, we need to talk about these old details. That was just the warm-up. As usual, we want to welcome our online listeners. And uh, this morning is about our Identity Series, but it is not a part of our Identity Series. So let's talk about the truth about Christmas. Now this little guy that was in our video this morning, I do hope to meet them personally. Uh, this is the son of Scott, and actually the little girl that was the neighbor girl, that was his daughter. He was sharing a real memory Of what his grandma said about if you don't have Christ in you, don't expect to find him under a tree. Did that grandma understand the exchange life? Absolutely. And to make a connection that you're going to get all excited about Christmas under a tree, it's not going to happen unless you know he is in here. And that's where the barrier is is if you do not understand who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you and that Emmanuel dwells within you, you are going to put such an emphasis on external things to try to find that feeling of Christmas. It's called paganism. That's exactly what the pagans did. They formed external things to create a feeling. That's the difference. This isn't a feeling. This is life. Then I can be in environments that people use to create feelings. And that's why next week when we have you talk about your favorite feelings of Christmas and how we integrate that into true exchange life will probably uh, bless you more than you are expecting. Christmas is a feeling. And pretty much the majority of the world would tell you that. It is an art of stitching memories to a present day moment. And that is paganism. You see, no matter what your positive memories are from your past, they have nothing to do with Christ unless Christ was in them. Makes sense, right? Unless Christ is in it, fruitless it's going to die with you and decay with your body so the truth about Christmas has got to be talked about now anyone who walks away from this message I don't care what country you're in I don't care what culture you're in I don't care if you're in this room today anyone who walks away from this message today and it enhances your legalism you have lost the message Because at the end of this message, I'm gonna enjoy my Christmas cookies, I'm gonna enjoy my, my hot cider, I'm gonna enjoy my Christmas tree in my living room, and I'm gonna enjoy watching my grandchildren open up gifts. But I will not deny, nor will I connect my Savior, my husband, Jesus Christ, with the paganism of where that started. I will impart the life of Christ to my grandchildren. And there's a way to do it. Grow beyond the elementary principles of legalism. Grow beyond them. And be able to sit and enjoy the very life of Christ in the midst of a world that is deteriorating and decaying to the pit of hell. So if you leave with more legalism, I can only pray for you. But if you leave free from legalism, Because what I'm about to show you can easily provoke legalism. I, myself, went through that phase. I took the tree out of our home, the tinsel out of our trees, the lights off of our windows, and went through this awkward phase of denying any association, any association of Christ to this holiday. Until a discipler, pointed out to me, you do it in one. You must do it in all things. Is that not a verse? And they started listing the things I would have to do that too. So I started calling him legalistic. Because he was requiring of me what I was requiring of my family for Christmas holiday. Oh, you push to obey one law. You're going to obey them all. God's going to hold you accountable to every pagan notation of all cultures. Well, when I started looking around in history, I started finding paganism everywhere. And it was impossible for me to keep that law. So keep your mind only dwelling upon the mind of Christ as we go into these details. The first Christmas tree. Why do we start with a tree When we have to talk about this holiday, how come we can't start with the birth of Jesus? Well, because that's not where it started. It started with a tree. At the winter solace, the sacred tree was cut down in remembrance of Nimrod's death. Who was Nimrod? The founder and architect of of what? Paganism, but there was actually a Tower of Babel. He is the father of Babylon. The Tower of Babel actually didn't get its name until after God made them babbling. He gave them all different tongues. This is where our multiple cultures come from. God actually developed multiple cultures to preserve His gospel. Because at this moment before they all became babbling idiots, an idiot is a good term. It's not a swear word. Idiot is very close to one who practices stupidity. In fact, it is the one who practices stupidity. They know the truth, but deny the power source thereof. Idiot also, if you look at the root word of idiot, it's where we get idolatry. So one who practices idolatry... Nimrod's people are practicing being idolatrist or idiots. Most words have great history to it. Most words you can look in the word and see the history if you take the time. So Nimrod is the father of this culture. Now you say, well, what was really at the meat, the core of this city? I mean, you go in the Bible and read about Nimrod and you will find out that he was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, builders to mankind at that point. Probably to even this point. I can mention five communities that are talked about in the book of Revelation that he built. So it wasn't just Babylon. This was a culture... That is spoken of even in the book of Revelation. This guy is a significant antichrist to the entire book. Single book. The holy word of God. This tree was cut down in remembrance of Nimrod's death. And it was decorated as a king would adorn himself. So the tree represents Nimrod and the decorating, it is a symbol of adorning the pagan god with the beauty fit for a king. When the tree died, the needles fell and it was naked. All fires in the village were extinguished, put out. The worshipers would gather and the balmus tree was set on fire. We burned our trees. That's just a practice that has stopped the last 20 years. The burning of the tree was a part of Christmas. And this is 2013. This has been going on a very, very, very long time. But some people are just burning their trees because they wanted to save money and having it hauled away. You see where it goes? Satan doesn't care if it's a Walmart special or if it's, Something particularly cut from the forest. Alive. Like cutting off the foundation of Christ. And putting him on that tree. I'm going to show you how God himself used the very customs of this tree to crucify his own son. Accident? I doubt it. The holy meal was cooked upon flames of this burning tree. Sacred fire from the sacrifice was then taken back home to re-fire the hearth. So half-burned log or whatever becomes a yule, new birth log. I can only give you highlights of the actual research. And I really want to encourage you, we... I took the time to post this free download on as many places as I could this week. So pretty much wherever you go on our stuff, you're going to find it. Just click on it. It'll take you to the free e-booklet and read the rich history behind this holiday. There's much more there than what I'm going to give you today. Now... It's taken back home, refired in the the hearth as a reminder of Nimrod's rebirth, reincarnation, which is a New Age belief. No, it's not. It's very old age. And sovereignty over that home. This is the meaning of the Yule Log fire. The pagans would take the residue of the burned tree and carve an idol out of it and part of this practice is even mentioned in the Scriptures. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 44, verses 16 and 17. Now repeat that for online listeners. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 16 and 17. Half of, half of it he burns in the fire, over half he eats meat as he roasts. A roast is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. But the rest of it, he makes into a god. His graven image. <coughs> he falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it and says, We're talking to a, a tree. He prays to it and says, Deliver me. For you are my God. Now to be able to sit in front of a symbol that this is the root history, you better know. You need to understand who you are in Christ. Because it will take on a complete different impact on particularly the culture that that tree is in. Do you know, and you can do your own research, just just talk to ten people this week. Just ten. And ask them, could you please give me a definition of paganism? The odds are, not a single one can give you a definition. That is true. Not even one. How's that for a survey? Now, DK is in the lineup You'll you'll get one for sure. You see, because he's made himself aware. But does it bunch him all up? No. Why doesn't it bunch him all up? Because he knows that's not what it's about. Therefore, you can walk through the halls of paganism, which America is filled with, and not get all bunched up about it. But actually be free and enjoy some twinkling lights in the process as twinkling lights. How's those different than the headlights on a car? They're not. Or someone who's got those cool blue lights under their fender. They're not. They're light bulbs. If you keep everything in its proper perspective, you can enjoy it thereof. But if you connected it to idolatry, you're going to ruffle the feathers of the great Almighty. And He will come and deal with you. So although the heathen reported that anyone who did not venerate or worship the Nimrod bush, which was actually this Christmas tree, was in danger of disease or death. The prophets calmed the fears of God's people by predicting that avoiding these Baal idols, worship of idiots, would bring them no curse or harm, which was obviously a bold-faced lie. Because there is no danger in idols uh, bringing upon God's people disease and death. Some modern liberals are now teaching it is permissible uh, to have these Nimrod bushes, groves in the home and in the house of God. Now that enters into a whole different dimension when you walk into a church and how they're handling this Christmas tree. It's a whole new level. Not that it, you can or cannot have one. But what they're doing with it is absolutely critical. They're teaching that since no curse of the tree can harm us, we being protected by the Spirit of God, it is acceptable To decorate the Nimrod Balmas bush with gold and silver like the pagans. Exactly what Jeremiah warned the Jews not to mimic or follow. That's in Jeremiah 10. Read carefully what the prophet Jeremiah wrote concerning the ancient practice of decorating the Balmas tree. This practice is exactly reproduced in the Christmas tree today. If the Christmas tree was not at the birth of Messiah and was not used by the apostles and the first Christians, how did this pagan practice of having or commemorating a false god come into the churches? Point number two on this slide is it came via the Catholic Church and most historians know this. The idolatry is far worse than most yet it receives little or no attention from alleged scholars and writers of church doctrine. And this is the thing that has puzzled me my entire Christian life, is many of the actual historically proven things that affect doctrines in the church are never spoken of in the church today. This one holiday, if it is not clearly documented for indwelled believers, will deceive them and lead them into paganism and they don't even know what the word means. The greatest deception is this. And please, please pray for God's understanding if you don't get what I'm about to say. The greatest deception in the entire world is for you to practice something that is evil and you have no way of defining what that evil is. See, there is no greater deception for Satan to say, I am successful at. The people have no clue of defining history anymore because revisionism has occurred so many times through the generations, they have absolutely no clue what a tree is. They have no clue. And then when you say of the paganism that was built in around this palmist tree, they're like, well, what's that? And then to go on into languages and say, do you realize that one third of every individual language is based on paganism? What? That's another whole level. The American language. And I'll give you just one single word, although I can give you many. Mary, tell me what demonstration means. Okay? DK, break the word in half. What do you have? Strating. What happens when a woman is menstruating? It's just biology. Don't freak out here. She's releasing blood. To do what? Cleanse. Demon. The original pagan word of letting out blood that was in direct mockery of release of the blood of Jesus Christ. We use it every day. Demonstrating. Original definition of releasing of your own blood to cleanse yourself. We don't, we don't hear that taught. And I can go on and on and on, word after word after word. It would embarrass us, so I'm not going to. The simple facts are that is the greatest method of deception. Is to do historical revisionism so many times That it is impossible for an average brain to make connections to something that has literally destroyed the church of 2013. It isn't Christmas. It isn't the Balmest Tree that destroyed our church. It's paganism. A word nobody knows how to define. Probably even in this little group. You don't even know what it is. So to deceive the people with paganism... There isn't anything easier, particularly in America. So why does Jesus Christ spend so much time talking about paganism and the Babylonians in the book of Revelation? I call that, duh. But when people who who stand up and say, well, I've never read the book of Revelation, it's scary to have it labeled in Christian society as the only book in the entire Bible that Christians haven't read, that's a little freaky. When it is the only book in the entire Bible that gives you the answers, what what happened to us? So when Jesus Christ starts talking about Babylonians and paganism, we go like, I don't understand that. Well, when you go back here and read about the the uh, Kidron and the dust of the ground coming to the ashes and coming forth from the fire that burnt. You're like, what are they talking about? They're talking about something that we do every single year. And you didn't even know it. Boy, am I glad I'm going to get emails this week. Because this is a hot topic for me. It's no wonder this guy from the History Channel was saying, man, you are really on to something here. But you know, my Vatican friend who's been on our email list for eight years, who advises the Pope, don't worry, sir, I won't mention your name, I'm probably going to get a nasty email from him because of what I'm about to read. It came by the Catholic Church, and most historians know this. The idolatry is far worse than most, yet it receives little or no attention from the alleged scholars and writers of the church doctrine. The first traces of using the evergreen tree among the Catholics is when they adopted the feast of Saturn, Saturn Day. You with me? I'm not lying to you. Saturday comes from Saturn Day, the worship of Saturn. Pure paganism. Every day of the week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday are all pagan labels. You obey one law, you better keep them all, bro. It's impossible. You better have someone else fulfill the law because it's impossible to avoid this paganism influence. You'll no longer be able to go, well, I'll see you on... Uh, i see you... It'll, it'll lock you up in life. Saturday is our day we have set aside to worship Saturn. Saturday was known and is to this day known as Nimrod's Day. So who got named first, the planet or Nimrod? Nimrod. The constellations in the sky. Who started the zodiacs? It's in the scriptures. Demonstrators started zodiacs. Demonstrators were first known as the men of magicians, the magi. Who did God use to actually show up two years after Jesus' birth? The magi. The magicians. God used that very life, tiny little life, a two-year-old. No, the magi didn't show up at the manger. That is all twisted theology. They showed up two years afterwards. After they had heard about the baby in the manger. They did their research. And realized that even the stars are obedient to this prophecy. Then they showed up. Paganism. And God uses these pagan wise leaders. Brings them to this baby child. And says, let me show you. Magi. Who's really in charge here? This is life. And you too can have it. Instead of trying to find life in the stars. Zodiacs. So what do we have in our culture today? You can open up your average uh, newspaper anywhere in the world today and what are you gonna find is a section called your horoscope. You better believe it's horror scope. Because that's the original meaning of horoscope. A view of the horrors that are coming in your life. And what do we do? We put little cutesy little tags on them and we develop all kinds of fancy little columns and we, we have these sorcerers who write them and, you know, predict our future and read our palms and do all this crazy stuff. And what is it? It's acceptable practices today. There are more people going to sorcerers for counseling today than there are people going to true disciples of Christ. Why? Because they can tell me what my lines are doing? Yeah. That would be not. I have wrinkles in my palm because I use my palm. But here we can take such stupidity, ignorance, idolatry to turn them into idiots. Those who practice idolatry. You can ask your average person the same ten if you want. Just say, could you give me a good definition of an idiot? Someone want to give me a normal definition of an idiot here? Anybody. What's that? Someone who's unaware. Anyone else? Opposite. Okay. Anyone else? Is it an insult or is it a healthy title? You idiot. The normal definition used today in the American culture is brainless. There's nothing up there. But yet the actual meaning of idiot is one who practices idolatry. It's rarely spoken of. Do you think Satan adjusts his vocabulary and his definitions of the vocabulary for you and your culture that is becoming less and less offensive? That's what's happening, folks, before us today is our culture is redefining the dictionary every generation so it no longer has any offense to it. You can be an idiot. You can be a homosexual. You can be a lesbian. You can be you can be so many things and it just doesn't bother anyone anymore. How does a culture get to that point? By redefining their dictionary. That's it. I'm sorry, I wish that the great mystery of deception was something far more complicated that we had to write 15 or 20 books about. But it is plain and simple to redefine your definitions. Whoever redefines the definitions of man's terminology controls that man. So to go back to some original definitions is rare in their church today. It's just rare. And then they say to you, prove it. The annoying responses that I get when I have someone say, like with the Thanksgiving article about Thanksgiving, there's a guy from Europe that contacted me. He ripped me a new one, as they say. But I told the simple truth. It's provable. Any good historian can tell you even more embarrassing details. But Thanksgiving was the Christians celebrating every single time they did a massacre on an Indian village. That was the Thanksgiving dinner. It was Abraham Lincoln that said, let's just do this once a year instead of every time that we sack an Indian village. Abraham Lincoln. Because they were doing Thanksgiving feasts every single time that local group sacked another Indian village. That's true history. It has nothing to do with setting down with the Indian tribe and enjoying their fine foods and them enjoying our fine foods and getting to know turkey versus pheasant. It was a slaughter. And the original Puritans didn't like it. They wanted no part of this thing that these masons were doing. I can take that one little piece and run it all the way into some things that are happening in local communities. And what has Satan done? is he's turned it into this festive, joyful time to be thankful for our perfect, beautiful, emergent relationship with the Indians. Janie and I have had a close friend for many years who is the chief of one of those tribes, and he'll tell you a different story about Thanksgiving. It's in their history what really happened. And now we just have them stuck away on these little reservations like they're waiting for a good hotel room. When in reality, we have raped them of their land. And their culture. And their people. Of course they're alcoholics. Wouldn't you be? So that's real history. But I still enjoy Thanksgiving, folks. I enjoy turkey. Boy, do I make some good tur- turkey gravy, do I not? <laughs> You see, that's what we're supposed to do, is to be aware of truth, reality of what really happened. So as my grandchildren gather around me, I can tell them the real Thanksgiving story and say this is a good example why we need to cling to the original truth, the Word of God. You see, they can grow up not depressed or thinking that every day is doomsday. They can grow up with the truth. And when they encounter someone who's telling lies that were told to them for the generations of Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, they can say, well, it's not actually the real story. Let me tell you why I love Indians so much. And they tell the story. You see, I truly do love Indians. And I truly do have a daily apology in my heart. I was wrong for buying into these lies and not learning the truth earlier. I can look to my Indian chief friend and say, I was wrong for believing these lies. You see, true healing starts with I was wrong. That's where it starts. Can we ever give them back what we raped them of? Pray not. Will Christ ever get back what the enemy has raped him from? Who's the King of Kings? Who's the the leader of all nations? As the song in scripture says, Jesus Christ. But was it taken from him? Was it ripped away, which is where the word rape comes from? Yes! Will he get it back? No. He burns it, just like the tree says, if you want it, you want this culture, you better live it to the end. And the very thing they bind themselves to is how God, through Christ Jesus, finishes the story, I'm going to burn you for eternity. How's that for history? In this paganism, that they were bound to their own laws of paganism is how God finishes the entire human world. Then I'll burn you. But by the way, You don't even get the pleasure of the final meal, of the burning, the feast. So how does the whole story end? The wedding feast, which is the greatest festival of all eternity. The birth of the Messiah was brought over into pagan customs to camouflage and give them approval by the Catholic Church. One of the bad habits the Catholic Church has always had, and that is taking the festival of pagans and replacing the imagery for that of Christ. Establish a Mass, a special Mass, which starts the holiday. You with me? Do you know what a Catholic Mass is? It's like our church services. But every Mass, according to the Catholic Church, is a sealed service in heaven. What is bound on earth is bound in heaven. What is released on earth is released in heaven. Yes, there's a real scripture of that. They have taken that passage and every single Mass is a holy ceremony that is sealed in heaven. God himself will bow to it. And that's the danger of what the Catholics did. They believe what they have established as doctrines for the church. God Himself will honor. Not. Mary is not the Queen of Heaven. That is Nimrod's wife. That was a label given to Nimrod's wife. And the Christmas tree placed in the center of that village, that city, Babylon, was this symbol. Then He made a statue of his wife. And every year you had to lay down your individual gods and you had to come to the square and you had to bow down to Nimrod's, the statue of Nimrod's wife who was long dead and worship her for one day. Does that sound a bit familiar? Isn't that what we do at Christmas? One day out of a year we just celebrate this birth of Jesus and you hear Satanists singing Christmas carols and you hear New Agers singing Christmas carols. You hear all denominations singing Christmas carols. Is that not what has happened? And how did we get to that point of reproducing a Nimrodic episode for the entire world on one day a year? And then they stick Santa Claus in the middle of it. Well, what was the goal of that? Well, let's take a look. The Christmas tree then symbolizes the pagan doctrines of reincarnation and an indwelling God. The tree is a symbol of false doctrine and the presence of a false god. It stands contrary to truth in that the presence of Christmas trees attached it is not appointed once for man to die and then the judgment Joining the Christmas tree with the birth of Jesus in the manger or even associating it with the birth of Messiah is beyond wrong. The birth of Jesus Christ represents the truth that mankind is lost and that our only hope is that of Acts chapter 2 verse 38 plan of salvation. So for the fact of Jesus Christ being born in the absolute human humble state of mankind in his filth, I'm afraid not. There's only one level of filth greater than that of a man. And it is that of a beast. And to have Jesus Christ not born in some guy that opened his house saying, well, come in, use, use my front room to give birth to this baby. That would have been bare minimum to me. But no. Where was he born? In the cow dung and sheep dung of a beast. It's beyond the filth of mankind. Why? For that reason. So when Paul came along and said, your good works are as good as the dung of a beast. Yeah, he's been there. He was below the lowly of the lowest. And to have the shepherd show up, what was that? He was going to be the greatest shepherd. The dung of the beast Even God would use an ass to communicate the gospel. If the men aren't willing, I'll use a donkey. Is that not in the Word of God? Of course it is. And so what's the greatest movement of mankind today? Go ahead, say it. There's a Bible translation coming out to support it. What is it? Animal rights! People are thinking nowadays their dogs are going to heaven. What has happened to us? But yet they abort children. They murder them every single day, all day long. These very people that defend PETA are the very people that are listed on abortion activists. But not their dogs. You touch my dog and I'll sue you. That's right out of Romans chapter 1. For there shall come a day where they will worship beast rather than the creator. Folks, I'm telling you, it's going to end the same place that it started, in the, the barn. All the crap from the animals and the animals themselves will have more value than the baby birthed, lower than the dung. If you don't believe me, just keep your eye on continuous history. You'll see it. The Christmas tree is then a lie. It represents its presence speaks of a lie. It is the devil's message that Jesus the Messiah is not the way, the truth, of the life. But there's another way, actually. Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. If you feel good about the gospel, (laughs) you need discipleship. There's no good feelings with the Gospel. It's hard. It's death. Nobody likes it. And when they start liking the Gospel like it's some wonderful tradition, we have a problem. Truth hurts. means He hurts. The only way hurts. Because you're telling people, this is the only way. So when you t- say to someone, if you don't have the indwelling life of Christ, Junior, you're going to hell. Does you he think that feels good? To say that Christmas or any other event is just simply about Christ in you and if you don't get that little piece, you're going to hell. You will burn with the Christmas tree with no feast on the other side. Is this not easy to understand? Impossible to understand unless you have the life of Christ. Santa Claus, is he just a make believe figure? A funny looking old man that comes down the chimney through the keyhole of the door? Is he the father originator of the pagan holiday? Is it evidence to prove that he has no connection with Christianity or the birth of the Messiah? Well, according to most books, old Nick is a fancy creation. He takes his role from that of an alleged Catholic priest named Nicholas. The very guy that D.K. was talking about. In chapter 3, book of Revelation, the only time we find Christ said for I hate you. Hate is a very, very powerful word. When God said, I hate divorce, and he says, I hate the Nicolaitans," there's a direct connection. It's only a couple of times in the entire Bible it's ever even mentioned hate out of God's mouth. And here it is. It is claimed that the, that this Nick, Nicholas would visit little children during the Pagalina, pagan holiday, and give them gifts. Supposedly this practice caught on, and the Catholic Church, coerced, and Catholic families began to adopt the giving, this gift-giving spirit of the Feast of Saturn. And the Protestants revolted against the pop-up Papacy, which is the actual Pope structure. They are said to have also rejected the celebration of Christmas and the folklore of good old Saint Nick. So why would they separate themselves from this holiday that seemed to be so holy and commissioned what is bound on earth is bound in heaven. They commissioned... This old guy, Nicholas, whom Jesus despises, as a holy saint. Doesn't that mess with your mind a little bit? Someone that Jesus despises and even uses the term hate, if you're of this guy, for I hate you. And that this church canonizes him as a saint, a holy man that you can pray to. Yeah, what about those lines? Sorcery, now accepted in the church. You better believe I would have been one of the Protestants to kick back from that. Santa Claus, the Roman father of Christ Mass, or Father Christmas, which is what he was known for, was the figure of high church, the red robe, which is the cardinal's robe, the white beard, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ, because of what it says in the book of Revelation, the difference is the canonized hat the cardinals would wear and the Pope is that the saint image, Nick, they let it droop because they could not rise themselves above the Pope. That's why whenever you're in the Pope's presence, you must be lower than his head. You have to be. Used to be you have to lay flat on the floor and speak to the floor as you were speaking to such a holy cardinal. All this, when you put Santa Claus picture on the wall, I can tell you from his boots to his buckles to the white fur to the beard to the hat to the colors, all of it has rich history of paganism. And he is the cutest little figure that there is in our annual holidays. Such a giving man. From Satan Plus. Call it what it is. I mean, when I see it in movies or whatever, you know, commercials, and I hear this from Santa Claus thing, that's the words that go through my mind. From Satan Plus. Nobody knows though, because it's twisted. It's, the name is moved and shifted around as Santa, Satan, Klaus, Owner, the Antichrist. They have been preparing us for centuries of the second coming of this Christ, and folks, I am not one that believes that this is our Jesus Christ. My spirit does not bear witness with Satan class. I don't. It's not right. Everything in me pushes against it. You think it's some fancy cute little man all dressed up representing some Dutch character from the history of your history book. But I'm here to tell you what I have told you today is only scratching the surface of the truth. Never let your children or your grandchildren make any affectionate association with this Antichrist. Every time, it's my prayer that you hang on to this. Every time you see a picture, a commercial, a movie of Santa Claus, I hope you are plagued with the truth. You are looking and staring at the image of the Antichrist in its cutest form. What better way to get the next generation to belly up to that big fat belly of indulgence, which is why they picked a fat man to represent it, is the indulgences of the Catholic Church. We will indulge you with freedom if you just buy in to this image. The drunken December pagan festival of Bacchus was originally celebrated in Babylon. It was a custom lasting five days. Uh, The masters of the house would serve their slaves. This is just one time of the year. And one of the slaves would become the ruler of the housetop. How in the world does Santa Claus get on top of a roof and stuff that big fat belly down into a skinny chimney? You're about to learn. He would clothe himself in a purple garment like a king. And this purple-robed servant was called Zagonus, And the man of sport, which means a man of sport or wanting debauchery. And if you don't know what debauchery is, it's pretty much the filthiest word in the English language. It's beyond any swear word. And would answer only to Lord of Misrule. Misulto comes from misrule. Lord of Mis, the Rule. It's debauchery. It's the definition of debauchery. Lord of Misrule. In the Dark Ages, this figure was known for revealing the Christ Mass, making an announcement from the rooftops of the Christ Mass that comes. This lord of the misrule evolves slowly into our modern day Santa Place. In conclusion, Nimrod's wife won't be coming on a goose. The whole mother goose thing is directly connected. You guessed it. It's a pagan image of Nimrod's wife on a goose coming back. Some DK pleats tell us the real story Of how this gal is going to come back. It's going to be on the back of the red dragon. And they call her a a whore. This is Nimrod's wife. That statue in the middle of the square. This is the first civilized city on the face of the earth. This is not new, folks. She's coming back. And she's going to rule the church. She's going to be the queen of... Of religions, you better believe the Catholic Church better be ready for. You better believe all the doctrines of the churches better support female pastors and it'll go from female pastors to presidents to kings and queens to go on to the point that when this horror comes in on this dragon, we'll go, well, welcome! We've been waiting for you! Cause all the doctrines of conservative God being a male God to lead is gone. You even have to try to find some library somewhere that will actually tell you that God was a male. You better believe we have to have translations where we remove 3,886 male references out of the Bible. And that's called the NIV. You better believe I'm offended by that translator, those translators and what they've done to the true Word of God. They are reconditioning our history to the point that we can't even... Catch on. D.K., tell me what you told me this morning about pride. This is just an example. There are hundreds of them. But this is the first I heard this one. In NIV, uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 4, 5, the, Bible the NIV translation uh, tells us that uh, we are to be, have pride in ourselves. But if you look in other translations... Uh, particularly the New American Standard or the King James Version, the word there is boasting or rejoicing, not pride. So that deception is put there on purpose to trip your mind up, to have pride in yourself. It's idolatry. How many times have you heard a parent say to the kid that, hey, I'm proud of you? And how many times have you heard adults grow up and I mean, kids grow up and now they're adults. Are so saying, you know, I never heard my dad say, I'm proud of you. Well, that would be the greatest compliment. Do you remember what pride means from the Hebrew? It's a description of Satan, of the man, of the weapon. And here we've got that word built into our family life and our culture. And now translations are swapping it out. The word for rejoice is now pride. I'm sick. It just sickens me how good the enemy is and how stupid we are to just buy into it. I mean, just to hear people use the word pride like it's some kind of godly, holy word and then they put it in a translation as a holy word makes me sick. What are we doing? I think it's kind of obvious. The most interesting fact to me is before our blessed Savior was even born of the virgin birth, grew into the tree of life, died on that tree, then was resurrected, and soon to be returning in the authentic, pure second coming, not a Santa Claus, that Santa or, or Satan or Saturn Satan replicated the truth through his little whore in the old town of Babylon. See how this is working? No superficial church historian can convince me of the symbolic insignificance, quote-unquote, of the intimate relationship between Lady Day, Babylon. That's Nimrod's wife. She's called Lady Day. She literally had a nation built for her. Someone want to tell me what that nation is? That was constantly agitating Israel. Egypt. All the imagery and symbols around this Egyptian thing are to exalt Lady Day. It's horrible. But yet it sure is fun to read about in our history books, isn't it? Satan is not a lazy leader sitting on his hands like most Christians do waiting for the end times to unfold. He is the end times, and he knows it. As we continue to review the details of the two Babylons, that's the old one and the new one that's coming, we will be quick to discover that every detail stated in the book of Revelation regarding Babylon is directly connected to the city of Nimrod and is not so lovely wife. Here's our final statement. What should we do as Into All Believers? Should you burn that Christmas tree in your living room or stop kissing under the misruled toe hanging from your doorway? Well, that's between you and God. As for me, and I'm speaking me as Steve Finney, as for me and my household, we will continue to enjoy the pretty lights draped on our family tree, which I have in quotes which hold the cherished moments and memories through hanging of ornaments. We're going to continue sipping on our hot cocoa as we give thanks to Jesus Christ for coming into this world to save us from the Tower of Babylon. I can look at that tree and go, you have no power over me. So now, it's like putting blue lights under my bumper. I like pretty things. I like things that sparkle. I like fun music, but if I'm going to pick music like this morning, I'm going to pick quality, rich lyrics that communicate the truth. In the midst of a pagan holiday.